0: From the blog The Stories of an Unschooling Family. Welcome to my podcast. This is episode 44, and today I want to talk about strengthening family bonds. This podcast is a bit late. It's already Tuesday, and I usually publish my podcasts on a Monday. But this week, I haven't got a computer. A few podcasts ago, I I was telling you how I cracked the screen of my computer, and I had to have it replaced, and I was without my computer for a week or so. Well, that same computer just will not bid up, so it's down at the repair shop. So what I'm doing today is recording this podcast using my little Zoom recorder. So I hope that the quality is good enough today. Then I'll try and borrow a computer to upload it later on. Now if you listen to my last podcast, you will know that it is school holiday time here in New South Wales, Australia. My husband, Andy, who's a school teacher, is home for a couple of weeks. Yeah, he's on holiday. So our routine has changed a bit over the last week or so. We've been spending a lot of time with my husband. I did say in my last podcast that we would be spending our holidays at home, being a tourist in our own hometown. But things changed. We actually got away for a few days last week, and that was a good opportunity to strengthen family bonds. And I'd like to tell you a little bit about that holiday. But before I do that... I want to talk about the importance of family. Now, when we started homeschooling all those years ago, I think maybe 23 years ago, i have losing count. But anyway, I had a friend who sent her children to school and she was very critical about our decision to keep our children home and to homeschool. She said that we were being selfish, that our children needed to go out into the bigger world into the real world and learn how to get on with their peers. And that I was keeping my children tied to my apron strings by keeping them at home. So we talk a lot about socialization when we talk about homeschooling. People that homeschool all know that our children are very well socialized. There's no problem at all. And that actually school children aren't living in the real world. Our children are. And so there is no problem there. But I think sometimes we wonder if our children have enough friends. Are friendships more important than family? I was talking about this with my daughter Imogen yesterday. Imogen's 20, nearly 21. And she told me that she thinks that family is much more important than friends. That if a child has a very close relationship with his or her family, that's a good basis for then going out and making friends with other people. But first of all, we've got to get the family relationships right. So I think that the family is the most important thing in a child's life and that all children need to belong to a tight, close-knit family. It gives them the best start in life. But how do we get our families to be close-knit? How do we get our children to want to be part of the family and not to go out looking to replace the family relationships with those of friends? I don't think that we can tell children that they have to be part of the family and to force them to do things with the family. We can't force them to think as we think and act as we act and to share what we have to offer. I don't think it's the case of preventing children from having friends and saying, family is more important, I want you to spend time, your time with the family. Now we can't force our children to do that at all. But we would hope they want to spend time with the family and to share things and to pick up on our beliefs, our opinions, things that are important to us, things that we believe as truth. We hope to pass those on to our children. And we can't do that by just telling them. I think that we have to build up a good, strong relationship with our children so that they trust us. So how do we build up those family bonds? This is just a few ideas that I've been mulling over. I think a family has to be a safe place. It has to be a place where a child is unconditionally loved, no matter what. A child has to be accepted. No criticizing, no talking negatively about somebody within the family, especially when they're not there. I've talked a lot about forgiveness. I think that we need to forgive all members of the family for any mistakes they make. And we have to ask For forgiveness when we make mistakes of our own. Yesterday Imogen was talking to me about listening to children. She says that when children talk to their parents, they need to be listened to, not to be made to feel stupid or put down. To be able to discuss things openly. Yes, keep communication lines open. Because when we force opinions upon our children, our children close off. They don't want to know us. And then, of course, we can't share anything of value with them. Your parents must want to hear about and share a child's interests, and they must value what is important to them. And in the same way, I think that because if we do this, then children are more inclined to want to share what interests us. We have a lot of interests in common in our family, and I think that's important too, to have things that we can all share and we all enjoy doing together things that we can work on, discuss, and enjoy together. A home must be a joyful and encouraging place so that everyone wants to spend time together as a family. But yet the atmosphere within the family circle has to be joyful, not negative and criticising or always getting on other people's backs about things. And then one thing that we've been using a lot recently is our family sense of humour. I assume all families have their own sense of humour. Ours is pretty weird and I think that probably nobody would understand our sense of humour. But that's quite alright because it belongs to us and other families have their own ways of being funny. They understand each other and we may not understand them. It's a bit like having a secret code that only family members understand. And we have found also that we have developed our own language certain words that only make sense to us in jokes those things bond us together because it means that we're Elvises. we understand the language and we we laugh when we make a joke I think all families probably have that and that's something that yeah makes us unique gives us our special family flavor Having certain family traditions also bonds families together. I've noticed this since a couple of my children have moved out of home. And they say that they miss the family traditions. They like to come home at Christmas and participate in all those traditions that we do year after year. It feels like our family, feels like this is our way of celebrating, say, Christmas or a birthday. I think it will be interesting to watch... My son Callum, who got married a couple of weeks ago, and his wife Casey, developed their own traditions, and I don't think that they necessarily have to be the same as ours, but they have to be something that they can share with their children and bond their family together. I had several more ideas about developing family bonds. I got these ideas from talking to my children, and I noted them all down. They said that we must all be willing to help each other, so parents to be willing to help children. And in return, children are willing to help parents. I've talked about this an awful lot too recently, especially with things like chores. But that's not just the only thing that we should be willing to help with, willing to teach our children how to knit, say, or willing to give them that little bit of help that they need to accomplish something. And then, as I always say, every week we need to respect our children, to trust them. Of course, I've already said, love them unconditionally. And then if you're a family of faith like we are, I really do think that spending time every day praying together as a family bonds families together as well. So, sharing interests, doing things together, enjoying each other's company, spending time together, strengthening family bonds, this is what we've been doing during this school holiday. I would like to tell you just a little bit about our three-day holiday. Yeah, we only went away for three days. It was totally unexpected because I'd already decided that we shouldn't spend any more money on a holiday. We'd already had a few big events recently, including the wedding of my son Callum. And I was more inclined to stay home and be economic. And then on the evening of the last day of the official school term, the day that my husband Andy finished work For the holidays, I suddenly decided that we were going away for a few days and I got the computer out and started browsing sites, trying to find somewhere that we could go within a fairly short drive, somewhere that would have accommodation available at short notice to do things that we enjoy doing. So after a a couple of hours or so looking on the internet, I got the girls to help me as well we decided that we would go to the Blue Mountains, have three days in the mountains together. And the reason I really wanted to go away this school holidays was because I decided that there's going to be very few more opportunities where Auntie and I can go away with our four youngest girls on a holiday. Imogen has almost finished her university degree. She's got one unit to finish she's halfway through that so in a couple of months time she'll be finished studying and she'll be looking for work and that probably will mean that she won't have as much free time and she won't be able to just pick up and come off with us whenever we announce that we're going away she is definitely a part of our team and so i want to have as many holidays as possible with her before she moves on to the next stage of her life so this was what i was thinking when I decided that, yes, we would go away, spend the money, and have our few days away. I also thought about getting away from the distractions of everyday life. Yes, we could have a a stay-at-home holiday, but we wouldn't be getting away from our computers, the internet, all sorts of other distractions that we have at home, even the housework. It's always fun when we go away, we get away from the housework because we get very little of it to do when we're staying in a cabin or a cottage. It's almost like playing house as far as housework goes. Just a few dishes to wash each day. Not much else to do. We never have to do the washing. We always bring that home with us. So these are the main reasons I wanted to go away. Spend some more time doing what one of my friends calls making family memories. Sharing experiences with our children. I did briefly think about What I could buy with the money that we would spend on a holiday. I've got my eye on an iPad. I'd really like one of those. Maybe I could have afforded to buy one if we hadn't gone on holiday. Though an iPad will provide us with lots and lots of experiences. We could all share it. I don't think there's anything more valuable than spending time just with a family doing things like holidays. That's going to last a lifetime as well so the time and the money spent on a holiday or spending time together is well worth it maybe i should talk a little bit about australian history before i get on to our holidays so you understand a little bit a few of the things that i'm going to say now it's a very short history captain cook discovered australia in 1770 if i remember correctly and in 1788, the first fleet arrived in Botany Bay, which is on the east coast of Australia, near the present site of Sydney. And the first fleet consisted mainly of convicts from England. Sir so Captain Cook claimed Australia for Britain, and Britain sent out its convicts, the people, the petty criminals that they didn't want, that were overflowing their jails. Previously, these people had been sent to parts of America. With the discovery of Australia, England saw the opportunity to ship out all its convicts halfway around the world to somewhere else to get rid of them. So, Sydney started off as a penal colony. Now, the Blue Mountains are to the west of Sydney. I guess there were a lot of explorations in the early days. Explorers went up and down the coast but they were prevented from going further west by this range of mountains called the Blue Mountains. Nobody could find a way up and over the mountains. By this time of the colony, they were looking for more pasture lands so they could grow more food, raise animals to feed the increasing population in Sydney and other places. And they wondered if there would be pasture land on the other side of the Blue Mountains. But first of all, a way up over the mountains had to be found. And it was found eventually. I think it was 1813. Three explorers, Lawson, Blacksland and Wentworth, actually found their way up and over the mountain. And this opened up the way for a road. And in the following year, a person called William Cox and a group of convict workers built a road up and over the mountain. And I think that this must have been a tremendous engineering feat. Because we've been up and down the Blue Mountains a number of times over the years. And the road is always under repair, always being expanded, always being improved. Because it's not easy terrain for a road to pass through. In some of the novels and non-fiction works that I have read about the Blue Mountains, you hear stories of the first people that moved up into the mountains and over the other side. They moved up with all their possessions loaded on bullet carts and it sounded like very treacherous journeys as the bullocks hauled these carts full of their worldly possessions up and over and down and round these um, treacherous roads they had to be very careful that the bullocks didn't go over the edge of the road and disappear down into the valley with all their possessions yeah, taking people as well, I suppose. I remember reading that at the most treacherous points, the people didn't get in the carts. They walked behind just in case the bullocks went over the edge. So there were real pioneers by brave people that ventured up into the mountains and they did find pasture land on the other side. So this is the road that we set off for nearly a week ago. We headed up to the Blue Mountains and we wanted to spend um, some time at the top in a town called Katumba, and up there is a place called echo point and if you stop and get out there is such spectacular views over the valley there is a rock formation called the the three sisters three big rocks there's an aboriginal legend attached to that formation and there's a large rock called solitary rock i think which is supposed to be larger than uluru Various other rock formations, Orphan Rock and the Ruined Castle, which looks like a ruined castle, but is really just a pile of rocks, but from the distance, it looks like a castle that is falling down. So a blue haze over the valley, which has something to do with the eucalyptus from the gum tree leaves and particles of dust and the light shining through them both. It's a very popular tourist destination. Coach after coach arrives and people get out with their cameras and they lean on the fence and take thousands of photos. And of course, we did the exact same thing, though we had been up there before. It's a number of walks around the area. A lot of them have been improved. Concrete paths have been put down of various places and steps and railings to make it easier for tourists to walk down a bit around the cliff go through the bush, visit a few lookouts, take a few photos. And really, I like the bush in its natural state. All this concrete and railings and things is not what I really like. I like to get off the beaten track. And I was mentally criticising all this until I saw a man on crutches down there heading towards a lookout and it made me realize that all these improvements, I suppose the council calls them, does benefit a lot of people. It does open up the bushworks, the lookouts, the views to a lot more people. You don't have to be particularly fit or able to enjoy the wonders of the Blue Mountains. So that was our first day, going to Katoomba and doing just a little bit of bushwalking along these improved pathways, taking lots of photos. Then we headed off to our cottage, which was a little bit outside Katoomba. We continued through the mountains to a place called Mount Victoria. And we had a cottage booked for us. It turned out to be rather small, but that didn't matter to us. It was a little bit like playing dolls' houses. It was located on the side of the Great Western Highway and the road through the mountains passes through all the villages and towns and all the trucks rush along it as well as all the local traffic and the tourist traffic so the roads can get rather busy and we found this a bit disconcerting because we could hear the trucks roaring past our cabin at night or in the earlier hours of the morning even though the cabins were surrounded by bush out the back there was bush and there were kangaroos and other wildlife but there was traffic passing through as well this beautiful place with a lot of traffic passing through which is very unlike at home we have the bush and we do have major roads but our major roads bypass our towns and villages taking the traffic away from the center where most people live now, i've got a little joke about those trucks which shows a family's sense of humour. Probably nobody will find this funny at all. But on our second day, we headed back to Katoomba and we went to a place called Scenic World, which is a touristy place with skyway, a cableway, and an inclined railway, as well as lots of bush to walk through. Oh, And there was a lot of boardwalks. It was easy walking. Anyway down in the bush we saw a lyrebird. We have lyrebirds at home so that wasn't unusual but this one we had to stop and listen to because he had a fine repertoire of songs. He was repeating various bird calls and other sounds over and over again. The lyrebirds imitate other birds but they also imitate anything else they hear like camera noises and chainsaws if they are in areas where there's a tree felling going on anything they hear they mimic and this one definitely was mimicking other bird calls but it was also uh, singing an electronic sound and we couldn't identify it but it was a man-made sound we definitely think it didn't sound natural at all it was very entertaining but when I was complaining, I suppose, about the tracks roaring past in the early hours of the morning, because I was couldn't sleep and I was listening to them, someone in the family said they weren't tracks, mum. They were probably big lyre birds from that bush out the back there, just imitating trucks which made us all laugh a great deal. But you probably don't think that's funny at all. And I think that's quite all right because it made us laugh and laugh because we could that's the way our minds work and our minds all in tune with the joke. And we really enjoyed it tremendously. I wonder if you have similar jokes like that, which bind you together, which which when you tell other people about don't actually sound that funny, but you know that they gave you a real belly laugh when you actually were discussing them with your own family. So yes, as I said, on the second day, we went to Scenic World and we rode the various rides there, a lot of tourists. It is, I guess, a sort of nature theme park. It's built on the site of an old coal mine and the inclined railway used to be used to transport coal up the incline from the, the coal mine at the bottom and in the old days people wanted a ride up in the coal tracks just have a, a ride and that's the way it all started somebody got this idea that they would transform the coal mine once it stopped producing coal into a tourist attraction they improved the tracks going up and down the incline from the original coal ones to passenger ones and They had no shortage of people who wanted to be hurled down the side of the mountain to the bottom eat ice cream and then come back up again it was a very popular thing to do for tourists these days the railway down the actual train is very very different from the original ones it is an enclosed train nothing can fall out which is just as well because it's a very steep incline and you can actually make it even steeper by moving your seats to a different angle i think we rushed down the mountain at an angle of 64 degrees and it was impossible for me to keep myself on my seat i had to really brace my feet against the seat in front and Jim rose hung on to me as well to prevent me sliding off my seat and onto the floor yeah quite a thrill going down it was in some ways too short a, a ride and in other ways it was just right because I don't think that I could have braced myself longer, much longer. I would definitely have fallen onto the floor if the ride hadn't stopped when it did. But through the scenic world, you can hop on a ride, then take a bush walk to the next cableway or skyway, get on another ride, fly over the bush in the skyway, see it all from the air, then walk through waterfalls and down paths again until you meet the railway again, come back up. On the railway and start all over again so we had a good day bushworking. it was a lot colder than we expected we'd had a really lovely week the week of the wedding the week before and we were back in winter again we went up to the mountains and we were all very glad we had our thick coats with us and I had my gloves but it was fresh and it was very enjoyable I, I didn't mind it being cold in some ways it's better for bushworking when it is cool than it, than when it is hot The Blue Mountains isn't a place that I would like to go to in the heat of summer because of the bushfire risk. Now, one of the things that does strengthen family bonds is having that family sense of humor. And I also think a family is a place where everyone can be really silly and nobody minds at all. You can just let your hair down and do whatever you like and people laugh and they don't think that you're ridiculous. Well, we all think that we're ridiculous, but that's all right because everybody is the same. And this all came out when we were on holiday. We did silly things like bunny jump up and down all the the paths and the steps while we were bushwalking. Laughing loudly, racing each other up and down the stairs, wanting to be the first ones up. And not really minding what other people thought about us, because there were other people around Yet yeah, talking at the tops of our voices about silly things, laughing about lyrebirds, that type of thing, and not really worrying about it. We're just Elvises out on a holiday, having a good time. It doesn't really matter what everybody thought of us. Now on the evening of our second day, when we got back from Scenic World to our cottage and we were having our dinner, we talked about our third day, our final day. What were we going to do? We had originally planned to spend it in Katoomba again and we had a few bushwalks we could have gone on, a few waterfalls we could have gone and seen. But we'd looked at the map and we knew that Jenolan Caves wasn't that far away, under an hour's drive. And we went to Jenolan Caves at Christmas and we had a fantastic time. Really, really wonderful holiday, going underground and seeing all the formations in the caves, there are limestone caves and the formations are just spectacular i've talked about this in a podcast in january i think and i think i must have used that word spectacular dozens of times during that podcast a very overused word listening back to it afterwards i thought couldn't i have thought of another word to use to describe the caves but that sums it up spectacular And when we found out we weren't that far from Jenolan, oh, we just yearned to go back and see another cave, repeat our wonderful experience of, of last Christmas. So we talked about it, added up the cost of going to another cave, talked about which cave we would want to go and see. And then we decided we'd get on the phone to Janolin Caves and find out if they had tickets for a particular cave called the River Cave. And if they did, we would go to Jenolan Caves on our third and final day. And that's how we ended up back at Jenolan. We saw the River Cave. We also saw a free self-guided cave we'd seen before called the Nettle Cave. But yes, the River Cave was the highlight of the third day of our holiday. I think there's something absolutely wonderful about going down underground and seeing things that once nobody suspected was there. A view that not many people get to see. That thought that something very ordinary, like the ground, you could never imagine the beauty that that is underneath it. That rock, that soil is hiding some treasure that nobody at one time suspected was there. It's a, a fascinating thought. I also wonder how many other caves are out there that nobody has yet discovered. I'm also fascinated by all the stories of the early explorers of the cave, how they stumbled upon the caves in the first place, and how they explored them using ropes and candles and not much else. They didn't have any safety equipment, couldn't see very far. They only had a few spare candles in their pockets. And there's a story of one explorer exploring on his own, and his candle went out. And he was there in total darkness for hours. He didn't know where he was. He lost his sense of direction. And he probably would have perished underground if his brother hadn't realized that he was missing and had come looking for him and had rescued him. But yes, very dangerous thing to do, exploring underground caves with just a candle. And when we went down to the River Cave, it was called the River Cave because... The river Styx flows through it, and it looks blue, the water. The blue water reflects all the formations in the ceiling of the cave. It is hard to see what is formation and what is actually reflection. An optical illusion, maybe. And the guide was telling us that the first person who ventured down the river Styx jumped into the water with his candle and floated his candle ahead of him and swam down the river to find out what was down there. Later on, he organized uh, tourist trips down the river underground. And at one time, they they traveled on a raft made from biscuit tins. All these gentlemen and ladies and their ladies in their long dresses and their boots and their hats and gentlemen in their suits and their top hats all climbing aboard a biscuit tin raft and being towed down the river Styx. To see the caves. It's rather a fantastic image. And these people used to come out to the caves as tourists and they'd bring their picnic with them and they would have picnics underground. They saw everything by candlelight. And some of the caves they had to travel through on sacks. They used to sit on sacks and then slide down between the caves over the rocks. And in one cave there's actually a big rock called Full Stop Rock. Where a guide used to stand, and as the tourists used to hurtle down the rocks, he used to catch them as they got came to full stop. Rock. These days we don't have to do that. We don't get on sacks and travel through the caves. It's a lot more civilized. They've put down walkways, and steps and railings so everybody can easily access the caves. Though the River Styx cave does have a few very steep sets of stairs to climb, and in one. Area there is a ladder that we had to go down backwards. A little bit frightening as you go down because it's very steep. There's been a lot of talk about the amount of concrete and the amount of steel that has been put into the caves, taken away its natural look. But again, as I think about it and as compare it to those pathways at Echo Point at Katoomba, it the stairs and the walkways do allow people to come in and to appreciate the beauty of the caves. Very few people would be able to see those sights without those walkways and handrails. So I guess in some ways they are justified. We wouldn't be able to, um, yes, enjoy the beauty of the place. After we'd seen the river cave, it was time to turn back and come home. A three-hour drive back. And we got home on the third day, late after dinner. But it was a good holiday. We've come back with hundreds of photos lots of good memories shared a lot of experiences with each other i think we've learned a lot too lots of things that i can record in my homeschool records book not that that's really important the main thing was having a holiday together growing closer together as a family but why not take advantage of all the things that we have learned and transform it into some records it does help with the record keeping so i'm going to record all the things that we did in my book for the first week of next term it'll give us a head start i think i'm going to add some photos of all the places we saw i'm going to go to the websites of scenic world and janolan caves i'm going to clip a video of the river cave and information about scenic world and the coal mines and the development of the site the history of the place I'm going to add some information about the roads up the mountains the explorers William Cox who built the road I'm going to look for some articles and things online to do with all those topics and I'm going to put them into my notebook so the girls can share them because I share my notebooks with my girls in my Evernote this is my Evernote notebooks and because uh, they're online I can invite them to share the notebooks and they can come along on their computers access the notebooks and read anything that I have put in there so Sophie and I have already had some good discussions about the history of Scenic World the day after we got back we both got up very early the only two people that were up we got a cup of tea each sat in the family room discussing our holiday and talking about the history of Scenic World I got my tablet out because we had some questions we wanted answered and I found a document and I was reading bits of it out to Sophie aloud well, I'll clip that document into my notes, and Sophie can go back and read it again if she wants to, and Gemma Rose can have a look as well. There's probably some photos on my camera. There were a few historical artifacts, I can add those to the notes. So I think we've got a really good head start on our record keeping for next term. Not that that's why we went on holiday, of course, but yes, we've got to make the most of all our learning experiences Trans- translate them into the right language so that we can keep our homeschool registrations approved and so that we can keep unschooling. So I hope that I can edit this a podcast on somebody's computer, a borrowed computer, and then upload it and get caught up with this week's podcast. So I apologize for the lateness of it. I wonder if anybody has actually noticed that this week's episode is a bit late. So if you'd like to visit my blog, it's Stories of an Unschooling Family. If you would like to subscribe to this podcast, you can do that through iTunes, or you could follow it through Podbean, or you could just keep up with my blog because I embed the podcast there every week. There's also a button on my blog called Podcasts. And if you'd like to go back through the archives, you can do it that way too. So I'm hoping that my computer will be fixed and returned by next week and everything will be back to normal. I'd like to thank you for listening to this week's podcast. And until next week, trust, respect, and love unconditionally.